talking so loud, I was like, <laughs> not even able to tell. Okay, great. In case you didn't hear me, <laughs> my name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Res City, and uh, I just want to welcome you here if you're joining us, whether it's your first time or uh, you're uh, a wily old Res City vet. You've been here for a long time now. Uh, whether you're here in person with us or online, I know we've got a big uh, online audience here uh, watching this Sunday morning as well. So I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to hop into our sermon today. Lord, be with us this morning as we uh, spend some time uh, in your word, spend some time uh, looking at what it looks like for us to relate well to you uh, as our good shepherd, Lord. That is fundamentally at its most basic, um, at its most basic point, Lord, that's who we are and that's who you are. And so I pray that we can uh, learn more about what it means to, to lean into that identity um, so that you can care for us well as our good shepherd this morning, whatever that looks like in our own specific lives, whatever we're coming in with, God, any burdens we might have, um, regardless, Lord, uh, be with us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, we started off this new series, we're calling it He Refreshes My Soul, and we kind of, we took that, the, the, literally that, that phrase comes from Psalm 23, and we talked a lot about the idea of wholeness, having a certain sort of wholeness in ourselves as we're tended to by the Good Shepherd, the one that's presented to us in Psalm 23 and other places in Scripture that kind of unpack that uh, shepherd imagery um, uh, when, it, when it refers to us and God. And we, we talked about how walking with the shepherd, being tended to by the Good Shepherd, leads us to a sort of wholeness, an abiding uh, that is, is, you know, abiding in a life-giving vine. That's kind of how we, we, we unpack the idea of this sermon series. And I think, you know, it's a simple idea, right? But what, like a lot of really, you know, profound, simple ideas, the more you dig into it, there's a lot of depth to it. And so, you know, even though we, we, we brought that up last week, we're going to be spending the rest of the series sort of unpacking sort of the depth of that imagery and that idea for us to find wholeness by following after the shepherd and talking about what it looks like for us to do that. So we're going to kind of start the process of unpacking that here uh, today. Now, like I kind of mentioned, that, 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 that shepherd metaphor is a really common one in Scripture. And you see the, idea, you know, the, the, the imagery of a shepherd and sheep showing up kind of often. And, and the reason is, is because both, you know, it describes us really well, but, you know, unlike our society today, I'm going to guess most of you didn't grow up herding sheep when you were kids or something like that, right? Or maybe you don't do that as, as, as your job now. But in the culture that the Bible was written in, a lot more people had a really sort of, uh, you, know, you know, good, a, a big experience. They, they kind of had a familiarity with it. And so let's return to the psalm. I think it's good for us to sort of understand a little bit of what shepherding looks like and what sheep look like so we can kind of unpack what it means for us today. So let's go back to Psalm 23, and I want to focus today on verses 2 and 3. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Now, in Middle East shepherding, I don't know as much about, you know, Western shepherding or modern shepherding. Uh, I'm not an expert at either, but I at least have read a little bit about Middle Eastern shepherding. Um, what it looks like is you kind of daily leading the sheep out uh, to find land to graze, like, you know, good, good pastures of grass for the sheep to eat, and water to drink. And after the sheep eat every day, once you've kind of found that uh, as a shepherd, the sheep eat, get full, and they drink, and they're full with that, and then they lie down to rest. And you don't really make sheep lie down. It's not like the, the shepherd goes around to the sheep and, you know, kind of bops them on the head and says, take a nap, right? It, it's like once they've been fed, 
they naturally just lay down and sleep. They kind of just are like, okay, I need to let this digest, and I'm just going to take a nap right now. But sheep will only do that when they've had plenty to eat and drink. So if you want the sheep to rest and to have this sort of peace and tranquility that they need, you need to make sure that they've had food to eat, water to drink, uh, and that they feel at ease. They're not, you know, spooked by any predators that might be around, right? So the shepherd kind of has to create this sort of um, environment of, of peace and tranquility for the sheep in order to do that. And Kenneth Bailey, he's kinda, he spent a lot of time in the Middle East. He's kind of an expert on it. He says, the shepherd knows that the sheep need grass, water, and tranquility in order to lie down and digest the, their newly filled stomachs. Now, this whole process is not always easy, right? Um, it can take time to find food and water. It's not like you always know exactly where you're going to get that. You know, if the, you went to one pasture the day before, there's probably not going to be a lot of grass left because the sheep ate it all. So you've got to kind of go around. And sometimes this takes time to do, right? It, it's something that you can't necessarily microwave and know you'll have it all be done by 10 a.m. or something, right? It might take some time uh, to be able to do it. Um, and so, like... The big idea here is that there's not a lot of, or this is an observation more so, I guess, is that there's not a lot of hurry involved in this, right? You can't sort of hurry that process often. You kind of have to let it take as long as it needs to for the sheep to get fed, to get their water that they need, and then to lie down and rest. And sometimes that might take all day, sometimes it may take a little bit less time, but you kind of have to be willing to let that process unfold. If you were to impose any sort of hurry onto that, that would actually really, you know, ruin it. It might rob the sheep from finding actually, you know, good grass, right? Or it might rob the sheep from having the time to eat as much grass as they need to, right? Making sure all the sheep get fed. It might, you know, it might rob the sheep of, of water. If you take them to a creek that, you know, is a rushing one that's really fast, well, sheep don't really drink out of that. They get scared by water that moves too fast, so you need to find something that's gentle. Or you might need to take the time to slow down the water. Shepherds have techniques for doing that, okay? You can't rush it, okay? There can't be a lot of hurry involved in it if you're really going to create this sort of environment where the sheep can actually lie down, right? Where their souls can be refreshed. Now, last week we talked about how a sheep that is whole is one that's well-fed. It has habits that produce uh, peace. They're rested and they're disciplined to follow the voice of the shepherd where he calls them, okay? And I'm talking about us specifically. We need to adopt the models that we, we see in the idea of the good shepherd in order to find the wholeness that the sheep have here, okay? So for us, in order to take in the spiritual food that we might have in the Word of God, to uh, have the refreshment of His presence, to be led by Him, we also need some peace and time, okay? Now, a lot of things can keep us from having what we're talking about, this wholeness. It could be outer turmoil, inner turmoil, sin. could be Satan himself, right? These, these different things can keep it from us. But what I want to do today, and, I, and we're going to focus on this specifically today, is talk about, I think, one of our greatest threats, and maybe it's just in our society today. I, don't, I you know, can't say for every culture and all times and places, but for us, one of our greatest threats to this is that we are often just too dang busy to have any of the time we need in order to lie down, to, to get the food that we need, to get the rest that we need, you know, to make us feel whole, like we're talking about with the sheep, right? We're, 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 we're always running from one thing to another, right? The, the, we're stuck in this constant pattern of hurry many times, and the pace of our lives can be brutal. They take a lot out of us, and we feel that a lot of times, 
but we just kind of keep going. We just kind of keep, keep running, and we try to you know, get what we're talking about in the passage here in dribs and drabs, but it's not the sort of, I think, often the, the sense of the fullness or the, of the wholeness that we see the sheep have here. And so today, I really want to focus on this idea of hurry, okay? Hurry has to do with our schedule, our pace, our attention, how we engage things like news or or technology or media or our work, okay? And this is true for us, whether you're a student, whether you're a parent, whether you're you're just someone, you know, going through life, trying to, like, do well in your job. We're all going to be affected by this, or most of us are going to find ourselves affected by this on a regular basis, let me just give you an example to kind of highlight what I'm talking about. You know, in a normal year, one where we weren't dealing with a global pandemic, we would still think of this as like, you know, cold and flu season, where like we're probably going to get sick at some point over the course of the winter, okay? Now, obviously, that's been dialed up like so much more, right? I mean, people are getting sick left and right, whether it's COVID or, you know, just a regular old flu or cold, right? We're all dealing with, with sickness, Okay. Now, okay, I want you to think about the last time you got sick or you thought you might be getting sick. Did you ever say to yourself something like this? Oh, man, this is the worst time for me to get sick, right? Oh, notice how it's always the worst time to get sick. Whenever you get sick, you're like, ah, this couldn't have been a worse time for me to get sick, right? Just think about, like, the unmitigated terror you experience when you thought about the fact that you might have to miss a couple of days of work or whatever it is you put your time towards on a regular basis, right? You started thinking, oh man, I have so much stuff coming up. This is so bad, right? And you start to picture all the emails that might pile up if you actually take a couple days off and you just dread having to go through them in a few days if you actually have to take some time off, right? Um, and so instead of like letting your body heal and get some rest, you're probably going to sneak onto your laptop at some point while you're you know, resting and answer some emails. You're probably going to find yourself tempted to actually go do some work or maybe just pivot meetings that you were going to have in, in person at a coffee shop. You were going to pivot them to Zoom. Okay, we're still going to have them. I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to do the work from my bed now instead of in a coffee shop or something right? We get antsy, we get anxious, we really struggle to just sit down and rest, to do what our body actually needs us to do, right? We just struggle to allow ourselves to do it. We, we can't just accept that I just can't work for a couple days, like I should just rest and let my body get back to 100%. Allowing ourselves to do that is super hard to do, okay? If we're being honest, like that, that, is, that is how we often feel, now, why, why is this the case? It's good to ask ourselves if that's true, or if it's true for many of us at least, like what's behind that? I don't think we maybe pause to think about it so much. And I, I was thinking about it, and there's like maybe a couple of reasons we might think that this is true. First of all, it, it might just be, like I said, we're fixated on the work that might pile up, okay? This paper still needs to get submitted. This project still needs to get done. Someone needs to cover this shift, right? The world doesn't stop for me just because I got sick. The machine stops for nobody, okay? Not even people who are sick. And that kind of, you know, just kind of, you know, says something about the machine, right? I feel like that we all are stuck in, that it, it doesn't stop for anybody, right? It just is always running, okay? 
and even if you have a good boss, like someone who's really understanding, who, you know, maybe tries to give you some of that space, like they don't have control over the machine, right? Stuff still needs to happen. And we're aware of that. And we know that like if we take some time off, we're going to, you know, kill that or we're going to slow it down. Maybe it's not always to the degree we think it will, but it still is on our minds. So that could be one reason. The second reason could be this. Maybe it's not our work, but we feel like we have no value or purpose if we're not rushing to produce something new, okay? We start to feel like I, you know, get a lot of what I think of as my value from the work that I'm doing. And if I can't do that, I start to feel like maybe I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I can't feel good about myself, right? We just can't fathom being alone with ourselves for a bit with nothing to do to, to make us feel valuable in some way. And you, you hear, maybe you felt this before, or you've heard people say things like, yeah, I was sick this week, and I just felt so unproductive, right? You just kind of feel like bad about yourself because you weren't working. You were doing what your body needed you to do to take some time off and just get better. But you felt guilty for it, or you felt bad about it. You felt like you weren't being as good of a human as you could have been if you'd been working. Think about what that says about our view of what gives us value or makes us you know, whole. We only feel like we can be productive or valuable if we're working. Let me just ask you, do either of those things sound healthy to you, right? That like the machine doesn't stop for anybody or that we only feel like we get value if we're productive in some way? I don't think so. But that's how we often feel when we find ourselves getting sick or having something else that maybe comes up and throws a wrench in our, in our days. And I think we collectively hate sickness because it's something that disrupts our agendas and schedules, now, this example just highlights something that uh, Rich Vildas, he's a pastor and author uh, in New York, um, describes really well. Um, he says, we live in a culture of speed, superficiality, and distraction. Okay, speed, superficiality, and distraction. A culture of speed that we're always producing quickly to try to stay ahead of the curve, get out in front of the competition, right? Make sure that we're the ones who are getting a certain uh, contract or whatever it is, right? Trying to be productive, and we're moving at a pace of 100 mile an hour constantly in order to keep that up. Superficiality, because we're moving so fast, we don't allow ourselves to take the time to, uh, you know, actually put depth or quality into a lot of stuff that we do, whether it's in our own personal lives or, or maybe our work or whatever it is. We don't pause to do that. We just want to kind of get the check, you know, the, get the check mark on the box. Get it out of the way. Make sure we got it done. doesn't matter how well it's been done. just matters that it's been checked off. And then distraction. When we do finally allow ourselves to rest, often it's not really restorative. It's just sort of a quick, speedy, superficial distraction from all the other speed and superficiality we have in our lives. Okay? We don't always feel like we've been rested a lot of times when we get back from uh, our days off or, or weeks off or something like that because we haven't really been resting in any depth or quality. We've just been engaging in more speed and superficiality in our rest. Okay, that, that, that's what we're in. That's what we're a part of. Now contrast that pace and that kind of view of the world for our lives with this. And this is a quote from that book by Rich Vilodas. He's talking about a guy, a Japanese theologian named Kosuke Kiyoma. He wrote a book titled Three Mile an Hour God. Dr. Kiyoma was trying to convey that if we want to connect with God, we'd be wise to travel at God's speed. God has all the time in the world and as a result, he is not in a rush. Koyama's, Koyama's claim that God travels at three miles an hour is not an arbitrary figure, though. 
On average, humans walk at this pace. When you're just walking down the street, you're probably walking around three miles an hour. And it's in such an ambling, unhurried, and leisurely moments that we often encounter God. So here's the big idea for the sermon today. We ought to be people who are resisting hurry and the effects that it has on our lives and try in, in all the ways that we can to be walking at a pace where we can encounter God and be led by him. And if God is walking three mile per hour, but we're running to everything, we're going to have a really hard time doing that. And that means we're going to have a really hard time getting well fed, like the sheep in the psalm, finding the peace to be able to lie down and let things digest and find the wholeness that the good shepherd wants to lead us towards. Okay? We can't be led to those things if God is walking three mile an hour and we are running as fast as we can all around everywhere. We need to be people who walk at three mile per hour with God. Now listen, I, I want to say this, be clear, okay? Hurry is a natural part of life. I'm not necessarily saying that like there are going to be seasons or days where urgency is necessary, all right? And we, about a year ago, we did a sermon series in the book of Proverbs, and we talked about one of the types of foolishness that gets talked about in Proverbs is uh, the slugger, the person who isn't doing anything, right? They're just kind of lazy and apathetic about everything, okay? That's not what I'm talking about, right? I'm not anti-deadlines. I realize things need to get done in the world, okay? Uh, and there is such a thing as good stress, I think, probably too, all right? Like, I think it's okay to us feel a little bit of stress so that we are trying to, to be productive, to be creators, people who are made in the image of God, a God who does work in the world, who creates, who rules over creation, okay? We're made in God's image. We're called to be like God, and deadlines help us to do that a lot of times, all right? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the results of a sort of culture of hurry, of constant motion, which dictates our lives at all times, where speed and superficiality are almost like values, and they kill the wholeness that we talked about last week. And as Christians, we're often assimilated into this, whether we like it or not. We don't have a choice a lot of times. And we become slaves to it, but also kind of active participants. And that's part of the problem. And Michael Zigarelli, he's a, he works at the Charleston Southern University School of Business, and he's talking about an obstacles to growth survey, and he surveyed 20,000 Christians across the globe, and he identified, as a, over the course of these surveys, busyness as a major distraction from spiritual life. And he kind of came up with this paradigm, his kind of guess at how this happens, how this incorporates us into it, and he, it kind of goes like this. Okay? So, first off, he says, Christians are assimilating into a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads to God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. And that cycle is something we're just stuck in. Okay, just by virtue of being in the culture that we're in, like we're going to find ourselves kind of wrapped up into it unless we're intentional about trying to resist it in certain ways. And, and here's the thing, all right, I'm just going to throw this out there. In, over the course of a survey, he said pastors are actually the worst, right? He said pastors are, are as a profession, they're right up there with, with doctors and lawyers. So like as pastors, I guess I'll apologize for all of us and say we maybe have not done a good job of modeling this for you guys, okay? So... I apologize on behalf of all pastors everywhere uh, for that. But like, 
like, it, it's true. Like, w- everyone is assimilated into this. So I'm not up here telling you guys, like, hey, just be more like me. I'm saying, this is something we all got to, like, reflect on and look at ourselves in. And it's led us all to sort of have this kind of un- upside-down view of things. So the Harvard Business Review uh, recently uh, talked about how when, you know, when people look at, and this is off some, some research they've done, when people, like, identify what is a marker of a rich, successful person and a sign of wealth, they talk about uh, people who are hurrying, people who are busy, is a sign of someone who is successful. So we start to think when we see that, if I want to be successful, if I want to be rich, if I want to be like the, the people that we put on a pedestal and admire, I got to be grinding all the time, okay? And that's a word you hear a lot of times, the grind. I remember when I was, you know, I kind of, I had a job in college working in Division I college athletics for the football team at North Dakota State, and we talked all the time. The word grind was like a word we regularly used. It was, we talked about like, oh, we got, I want to get back to the grind. Like, we talked about, it was a good thing. It was something we should like aspire to have, the grind. We're not going to let anybody, any of our opponents out hurry us. Okay, the grind is one of the most important things about our job. Constantly working, very few breaks. Uh, I had one guy who would always tell me, you can sleep when you're dead. <laughs> he, he, just, he was like, you know, you, you know you, you'll have time for this when you're dead. Right now, it's a time to work. If we want to be successful, if we want to get ahead of everybody else, we've got to be grinding. Now, I think this kind of hurry can kind of creep into our conception of what it means to be a good Christian, too, right? Where the definition of, you know, successful church kind of looks like more locations, more people, more followers, bigger footprint, creating better experiences for people, having a larger-than-life figurehead that we can put on social media for people to kind of latch on to and emulate and, and give their likes and attention to. And that creeps into us. It tells us what maybe a successful Christian might look like, right? Someone who is gaining more blessings in their lives, more spiritual experiences, right? More social media posts, like creating more focus on us and how great I'm doing. And, and the thing about this, like when you kind of, you know, pers- are pursuing this kind of stuff all the time, it, it takes a lot of work, right? And so it kind of tells us that, you know, the grind, the commitment to hurry is what's going to make us a better Christian, right? People who are also working our butts off all the time to create, get more and more and more stuff for ourselves. That I think that really can kind of seep into the church and tells us what it means for us to be good followers of Jesus too. Okay, let's take that and actually put it up against Jesus himself. Okay, let's contrast this with Jesus. Is this what Jesus was up to? If we're people who want to be Christ-like, who are following after the shepherd, what was he doing? Well, Jesus was often, he was actively trying to get away from stuff, right? Like, he he didn't see the grind and celebrity that would come from it as a way to expand God's kingdom. So we find all over the Gospels, like, Jesus is taking time to get out by himself, to go to lonely places, to desolate places, where he can spend time with God specifically, and, and, and seeing that as a way to grow. Okay, he said, he said hard, challenging things to people, right? He was not worried about losing people to influence, right? Like, he was willing to speak truth, and it kind of came from him getting away, spending time with the Father, okay? Seeing quiet time to meditate and be alone is one of the most essential ways to grow deeper roots into God, okay, and, and honor God. 
When the church sort of embraces hurry, when we as Christians embrace the hurry that is kind of pushed on us a lot of times, there isn't a lot about like, you know, what it means to be a successful Christian that promotes things that we are talking about in this series. Things like depth of character, humility, peace, deep transformation, and love. In fact, a lot of it, you know, makes us susceptible to being, you know, very unchristlike in a lot of ways. And John Mark Comer, in his book, Ruthless Elimination Hurry, he talks about this, how hurry kills many of the things that we would call Christian values. Okay, so he says, love takes time. Hurry doesn't have it. It kills joy, gratitude, appreciation, and people in a rush don't have time to enter the goodness of the moment. It kills wisdom because wisdom is born in the quiet, the slow. It has its own pace. Can't rush wisdom, he's saying. Hurry kills all that we hold dear. Spirituality, health, marriage, family, thoughtful work, creativity, generosity. We just did a whole series on generosity right before this. Hurry is a sociopathic predator loose in our society. Okay, But we find ourselves assimilated into that, into that cycle constantly. Right? And so what we settle for oftentimes, because we're stuck in that, but we still want to appear like we care about these things, is we kind of just settle into perception management often. Right? Just trying to like make sure people think that we are those things, even if we wouldn't actually be saying we've done a good job of developing that in depth in our hearts and our character. Cause, cause, so what we want, because we're in such a hurry oftentimes, is not a good slow-cooked meal, but something that's microwaved. Okay, think about the difference between a good meal that you like took a, took a few hours to make and something you microwave. Like we have different connotations about what's a you know world class meal, right? Mac and cheese that you throw in the microwave versus maybe a rack of ribs that you smoke all day long. You know, some people will like throw some meat in a the smoker. They'll take all day to cook it, and it's amazing, and it's definitely better than a hot dog you throw in the in the microwave, right? And and put in for a minute. Okay, our lives are like that too. Okay? Our lives are like that too. And Pete Scazzaro, he has an incredible analogy to kind of talk about this. And it's something called cladding. All right? So apparently it takes 10 years, it takes a long time to become a stonemason. I would not have guessed that. Okay? But apparently that's the case. Because stone is really tough to work. And some people, because of that, will do a sort of fake stonework called cladding that looks like the real thing, but it's not actually real stone. And it can't bear the weight that real stone would either. It's just something you put on top of another foundation. It looks like stone. When you get up close to it, though, you can kind of tell, oh, this isn't real stone. And this wouldn't actually be something that would support the weight of the structure that's on top of it. And he, so Pete Scazzaro says, in our hurried lives, rushing to the, you know, the next thing, we can make it seem like our foundation is stone, right? People might look at us and say, well, we get, that person has a good foundation, but really what we've put in place is just cladding because we don't have time to put real stone in, so we end up microwaving spirituality and the processing of our inner lives, which actually produces a good depth of character, real Christ-likeness. We, we forego that for kind of the illusion for ourselves and others that we have that in place, putting this cladding up, Okay. Friends, we are going to be tempted to hold hurry on the one hand and cladding on the other and call it holiness and Christ-likeness, okay? We're going to be constantly tempted towards that. We have to resist it, though. We have to be willing to walk at three miles per hour, 
so that we can actually develop that stuff as we walk with the shepherd, as opposed to trying to put in something that's not real. Now, as we kind of wrap up the sermon today, to really resist this, there's a couple of things. The first is sort of the, these rhythms that we're going to be talking about the rest of the series. So this is kind of more of a clearing, you know, the ground sermon. We're going to get some stuff out of the way so we can build some other stuff up back, some habits, some rhythms that will create wholeness, that will create abiding and cause us to walk with the shepherd, um, okay? So we're going to talk about that, and that's kind of the first thing that we need to resist um, hurry. But the second thing, and I do want to talk about this as we wrap up the sermon today, is asking ourselves, well, why am I always running from place to place? Like, what's behind that? John Orberg says that hurry isn't a sign of a disordered schedule. Hurry is a sign of a disordered heart. And if that's, the, the, if that's true, we have to be willing to like look at our own hearts and ask ourselves, well, what is behind my hurry? What is behind my constant running from one thing to another? And, and uh, here's, I think, often what we'll find. Hurry usually means we're running from something or to something we got to find out what is that thing, okay? What, am, what are you running from or what are you running toward, okay? You have to figure that thing out so that you can sort of realize, you know, what is causing a lot of my busyness, my hurry, the, the brutal pace of my life. You have to know that before you can start to build back up in place of it. And again, John Mark Comer, he talks about how we could be running from trauma. We could be running from last names, We could be running from deep insecurity, abuse, a deficit of self-worth, a fear of failure, an inability to accept the limitations of our humanity, or we could be looking back at some tragedy or failure in our lives. That and more are all things we could be running from. We might not even realize it, but it creates this pace in us where we're constantly on the move, trying to get away from something, okay, instead of dealing with it head-on at three miles per hour, abiding, in the, uh, in the vine, walking with the shepherd. Or he says we could be running two, two things, running two promotions, running two purchases, experiences, stamps on our passports, the next high, something to give us value or happiness or worth or love or acceptance. Maybe it could be dreams. It's these things that we don't have, but we think if we just got them, that would make everything better. And then I could lie down and rest, right? Then... I could finally be at peace like the, shep- or the sheep in the psalm. If I could just get this thing, I just got to be running after it, okay? But think about this. The fact that we keep hurrying should show us we haven't found wholeness in any of those things, okay? The fact that we keep finding new things that we tell ourselves are going to give us wholeness should tell us that's probably not the thing. That's probably not what we ought to be doing, rushing to the next thing to give us wholeness. There should be something else. There's probably something else in play. And the irony to all this is we have to slow down to three miles per hour in order to really examine ourselves. Okay, If we're rushing, if we're hurrying around, we are not going to be able to sort of figure out what is behind it. Okay? And more hurry is not going to solve the problem for us. It really is being willing to stop, to slow down, to take some time to simmer in the love of God, giving you wisdom and enlightenment into what it is that you might be running to. Okay? Instead of engaging in hurry, born out of trying to earn or acquire something through the grind, we have to adopt the posture that invites the shepherd in. Okay? 
one of humility, one of vulnerability, maybe of repentance if necessary, okay? One that doesn't explain away failure, maybe as someone else's fault, right? That's willing to engage with hard things, okay? Things you might have been hurrying away from because you just don't want to deal with it. You just want to admit something to yourself, okay? One that actually represents who we are as sheep. But since this is hard to do, we will be very tempted to settle for hurry, putting up cladding, and just numbing ourselves with distractions. And John Ortberg says, For many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. Okay? This is something we have to be aware of, you guys. If we're going to be running around, hurrying everywhere, we are just going to find our, our faith squeezed out of our lives. And we have to understand that so that we can be aware of it, so we can resist it, so that we can actually have deep faith. Okay? I don't want you to settle for a mediocre microwave faith. I don't want any of you to settle for cladding. I don't want any of you to settle, to let our culture of speed or superficiality or distraction keep you from being nourished by walking with the shepherd. Because we talked last week about how this is something like we feel acutely, we need this wholeness that comes from walking with the shepherd, from abiding in the, the life-giving vine, right? This is what we need to survive in the world. And hurry is going to be a thing that is going to keep us from that. It's going to keep us stuck in feeling strained like so many of us feel right now. Okay, so it's worth it for us to stop. And once we've dealt with this, we've realized what's going on around us, we can settle into other rhythms that will help us walk with the shepherd. All right, so in your community groups this week, we're really going to have you dig into this, okay? We really want you to stop, to pause, to ask yourself, is, there, do, is my life too hurried, right? And, and if so, what am I running from or what am I running to? What, what, is, what is there for that? What, what can I make sure that I am sort of creating space for, for God to, in order to be able to walk through mouse prior with him, okay? So if you're not in a community group, I mean, we try to plug community groups all the time. Aaron talked about it earlier today. But it, this is a series where we really want you to be talking about this with people, okay? It's not enough to just sit and hear a sermon on Sunday morning. There's got to be patterns of talking through this with other people. And our community groups are really where we're doing that. So if you're not in a community group I, you know, and you want to get into one, please talk to me or Julie. Go to our website, redcitychurch.org community. Fill out a, she, uh, a, a, a form there. And we would love to get you in a community group so that you can be processing through this stuff as well. So you can be experiencing the wholeness of the shepherd, okay? So we're going to transition now into a time of worship and communion. Um, if you have not gotten a communion cup and you'd like to partake in it, please raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. Um, and if you would like prayer for anything at all, maybe you, you are feeling rushed, you're feeling burdened from, from too much hurry in your lives, we will have people uh, in the back who will be willing to pray for you, okay? It could be anything. It could be more than that, but we just, we want to make sure that we show you our value for prayer, for going to God with our burdens so that he may meet us in them as the good shepherd does. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you, your burden on us is not heavy. Your burden on us is light. God, you, you do not want to cause us to, to rush to you, God, to earn anything, to grind in order to achieve uh, your love. But God, you come to us, you meet us, and you just ask us to slow down and to allow you to uh, crowd us, Lord, to surround us, to saturate us with your love. 
as you are the good shepherd for us, God. Help us to know what it is in our lives that might keep us from that so we may have wisdom to know uh, how we can orient our lives around walking with you, God, daily. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.